Hey guys, Dr. Cassie here. Thanks for joining Betfolio Voice for another special edition podcast in conjunction with NABC's advocacy platform, Embrace. In this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Jay Tischendorf to discuss the kind of scary topic of emerging pathogens, the importance of a One Health approach in addressing these pathogens, and how we as animal health professionals can take an active role in this One Health approach. I'll warn you, our discussion is not sunshine and rainbows, but Dr. Tischendorf was very informative and practical and left us with a great reminder to keep our chins up and stay positive. Dr. Jay Tischendorf is a veterinarian and wildlife biologist with special interests ranging widely from anesthesia, cardiology, and dermatology to One Health, emerging infectious diseases, and zoonoses. Founder and director of the American Ecological Research Institute, Dr. Tischendorf has a bachelor's degree in zoology from Ohio University and a DVM degree from Colorado State. With experience spanning field biology and scientific research, clinical practice, and service in the pharmaceutical industry, Dr. J has worked across the entire North American continent, as well as in Central America and Canada. He's a certified expert animal cruelty investigator and serves as scientific advisor and trainer with the National Animal Care and Control Association, the Law Enforcement Training Institute at the University of Missouri, and the National Wildlife Control Operators Association. Additionally, he's human-animal bond and fear-free certified, as well as a member of the Pet Industry Joint Advisory Council on Zoonoses Committee. Dr. J previously served as faculty at the University of Great Falls in Montana, is a former wildland firefighter and U.S. Marine. He has ongoing research projects involving large carnivores, raptors, and reptiles. He's also actively searching for the supposedly extinct ivory-billed woodpecker, teaches courses on animal immobilization, has provided volunteer veterinary care for Native American nations, and leads an annual tracking and winter survival course in the Rocky Mountains. He's a regular speaker at a number of veterinary medical and technical schools, conservation and ecological symposiums, and veterinary and human medical conferences. This guy is cool, and it definitely comes across in our conversation. Let's go ahead and get into it. All right, I'm here today with Dr. Jay Tischendorf. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Jay. We're so happy to have you. It's my absolute pleasure to be part of this. Today, we're talking about One Health. And, you know, of course, the topic of One Health is very broad. It addresses a wide range of issues where human and animal health overlap. For our listeners who aren't familiar with One Health, how would you define it? I think of it as this inextricably entwined relationship between environmental health, planet health, health of our earth, and then animal health and human health. All three of these are truly inextricably entwined. And I think it's a really important concept for for everybody, regardless of their place on the planet or their interest to understand at least fundamentally some, some basic understanding of this. Sure, that you know, human health, animal health, and the health of the planet are all intertwined in the end, like you said. Yeah, well, I'll hit a couple of things that I think you know maybe help people understand this. So I think a great one is you talk about toxins in the environment that can have really serious effects. 
not just on the health of the environment, but on people, right? Things that might be carcinogenic or whatever, right? And, and but also at the same time, impacting the animals and the wildlife in that environment. And so that's, I think, a nice example of, of a One Health situation. Another, and I sort of alluded to it just a moment ago, is cancer. You know, there's so many cancers out there that are shared between humans and animals, right? And oftentimes we use animals for research into oncology things and toxicology for that matter as well. And some of those can be driven by things in the environment. So it sort of goes back to that toxins in the environment sort of case. But, you know, for me, the, the poster child for, for the One Health movement truly is zoonotic disease. We'll talk a lot about that here, but it's all there in zoonotic disease, right? You've got animals, you've got humans sharing infectious diseases, and it's all happening because we are in that same environment or the environment, the habitat, however you want to look at that and how, however far down into that you want to drill has allowed these pathogens to come together in, in animals and humans and be shared. So I think that really, you know, this is the poster child for One Health. And I get excited talking about it. Absolutely. I love it. I, I do as well, especially, you know, considering today's climate, we're talking zoonotic diseases. And, you know, recently we've seen how a zoonotic disease like COVID-19 can really disrupt our lives, you know, just a little bit there. Are there other threats, kind of getting into specifics here, are there other threats to society that are posed by the overlap between animal and human health? Oh my gosh, yeah, you know, <laughs> we won't have the time here to go into it all, but I often say that, number one, and, and this may not be palatable to a lot of folks, but it's a microbial world. You know, we're just guests on this planet and it really is run by microbes, to be honest. And, and in some cases we're on the menu. Of course, nobody wants to hear that, right? We think humans are the, the peak of everything and the top of the food chain and all this. But in the end, you know, it, it really is a microbial world and we are shaped as a species. I think that this whole planet and all of the species on it are shaped by pandemics and infectious disease. And we are all here today ourselves you know, largely because our ancestors survived pandemics. And so as you start to think about this, you realize that infectious disease is around us all the time. It always has been, it always will be forever and anon. And, you know, fortunately, we've got immune systems that help fight off most of the time, but in some cases that doesn't work. And we have these monumental pandemics and things like that. But infectious disease and these microbes, they are around us all the time. And long before COVID, if you just did a brief survey of headlines on any given day, you'd find headlines about, you know, major infectious diseases and, and outbreaks. And many times those are zoonotic in many places in the world. And COVID now has just become so dominant in the news that we're not seeing these other headlines that we might've seen before, but they were always there and they always will be. COVID has just been sort of a big shot across the bow for us and, a, you know, a bashing us over the head with infectious disease. And I know many people are tired of it. But once COVID passes, and I think it eventually will, or we'll come to be able to live with it, we still will have all these other infectious diseases that have always been around and always will be. I love how you preface that with this might not be palatable because <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. I'm like, no, we've been bashed over the head for like several years now. Can, can we just say we paid our dues and move on? But, you know, of course we know that's not the case. Yes, unfortunately not. And, you know, there, there will be other pandemics down the road, I'm sure of it. Sure, sure. And so let's switch gears here for a minute and talk about, you know, what, what to do about this. When we're talking about One Health, implementing these One Health philosophies, 
requires government policies. So can you name a few that you think should be the highest priority and what their impact would be, and maybe even a little bit more so what the role of animal health professionals would be in shaping that policy and carrying yeah. it out? Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. How much time do we have? This is, this is a huge topic. You know, I, I'm, I'm a KISS kind of guy, right? Keep it simple. And so if you think about what One Health is, and we talked about sort of the, the epidemiological triad here, you know, in essence with this, this is the humans, the animals, and the environment. So and if we look at the simplest level, anything that helps maintain, improve, or assure the health of those three things, the environment, animals, and people, I think, is a fundamental place to start for trying to get a better handle and, and better control over things like, you know, future pandemics and microbial disease and infectious disease, and many times not even necessarily zoonotic infectious disease. So I'm a big proponent. And again, I know policies and government legislation, those are four-letter words, uh, regulations, right? Those are four-letter words in the minds of a lot of people more and more so today, it seems like, than ever before. And so uh, I, I know that, as, as we said, you know, some of these things aren't going to be palatable, but in the end, if we can do things that help ensure human health and welfare, animal health and welfare, and environmental health and welfare, we're going a long way towards improving the circumstances and minimizing the future danger, which I really, you know, believe firmly is is out there and always will be. And so it behooves us to get proactive about that, you know, specifically looking at things like, uh, and my gosh, you know, I will give credit to AVMA does a great job sort of cataloging the different legislations and things that are out there. There's another group, it's a pet industry advocacy group. It's the Pet Industry Joint Advisory Council or PJAC. They've got an awesome website and they are very, very good about cataloging and archiving all of the different legislations, even down to the state level, and in some cases, even community level in some states, but certainly at a national level, the different acts and bills that have been proposed. And so, you know, some of the big ones that are out there right now, there's the Healthy Dog Importation Act. Actually, that's largely been ramrodded by uh, one of our veterinary colleagues, Dr. Kurt Schrader. He and another vet colleague, Dr. Ted Yoho, going back to probably started with Al Franken back in 2016 was the preventing future pandemics, advancing emergency preparedness with One Health. You know, some of these go back to 2015, 2016. They didn't always make it through the legislative sessions. But right now we've got, as I said, the Healthy Dog Importation Act. There's the Preventing Future Pandemics Act that's being debated and bantered about right now. There's, uh, gosh, the uh, Puppy Protection Act. There's a lot of different acts more in the conservation realm also, I should point out, but they too overlap with all of this because that may involve discussions about how we want to regulate or minimize or improve rules and regulations around wildlife importation, whether it's for pets or for zoos or for illegal trade in wildlife, things like that. So there's a lot really going on. And I have to say, it's, it's incredibly daunting to keep up with that. And, and I say that very somewhat ashamedly and reluctantly because, you know, we, we are a country where it's government by the people for the people. And, you know, without groups like the AVMA or PJAC or other private groups to try to help keep us educated, it's very difficult for the private citizen. I mean, right? We have families, we have jobs, we have other interests, we have stresses in our life. Nobody has the time to sit down and review all of these things. And yet 
it is so vastly important and, and across many other areas of our lives where there is legislation also similarly important, we just don't have time. And that pulls us away from making these decisions or informed decisions about how we vote, what we support. And this really is you know, a huge, huge issue. And rest assured, there is a lot of legislation out there right now. And unfortunately, you know, I don't think all of it will get passed. Some of these things may get passed and, and you know, uh, realistically may prove to have not been the right, right solution or maybe had some gaps or it looked good on paper sort of thing. And when we actually came down to the practice, it, it was not what we really needed. So it's a, it's a dynamic, dynamic field for sure. So you mentioned that some of this doesn't make it through legislation. And I love that we're, we're talking about this and really getting the message out about the importance of One Health and paying attention to these policies and how many policies are out there. I know that you talked about, about voting and being informed and everything like that, but is there anything else you want to share when it comes to encouraging the adoption of these policies, what we as animal health professionals can do to, you know, kind of put the pressure on a little bit to get some of this legislation through and really make a difference in this One Health arena? Yeah, great question. And again, you know, we're fortunate we live in this country where we do have a voice and, and the opportunities to, to try to make that voice heard. And so keeping up with your local, even at the local level, local politicians, state politicians, and certainly at the federal level, our representatives and senators and others, trying to get in front of them and communicating with them. And, you know, some of us probably feel like nobody's going to listen or we don't really have that voice. But Certainly, if we don't try to get in front of them and, and speak with them and educate them with letters or emails or conference calls and meetings and participating in groups, right, unified voice, sometimes uh, there is that strength in numbers. I think, you know, we certainly will, will have that self-fulfilling prophecy. So even, you know, at the individual level as animal care, animal health professionals, I think it really is the onus is on us and, and this obligation to try to make that difference. And help educate these government officials and others who might not necessarily have the same understanding and perspectives and expertise that we have. And so really it does start with that individual voice and ultimately that, that individual vote in the end. And many of us, right, in animal care and animal health are, are, are active and creative and, and high achievers and self-starters. And I think, you know, finding ways to go out and, and have an impact beyond, say, our private practices and getting out, talking to school groups, talking to kids, civic organizations, right? Getting involved in those, whether it's as a member or going in to educate them, finding partners on the human health side, again, sort of that one health model, finding folks on the human side that have these same concerns or same interests, same passions. I think, again, strength in numbers and, and unified voice really gets the attention of folks in, in politics and and government, and, and they're more inclined to listen when they see that, hey, this isn't necessarily just one person, it's, it's this unified voice. And that could be through things like the AVMA or PJAC or whatever, you know, Sierra Club, Audubon Society, whatever, but it does start with that individual voice and that individual person. So I think you really hit the nail on the head there as far as, you know, it's out of a lot of our comfort zone to say, okay, we're going to get involved and really push and try to make a difference. Some people are great at it and, and can really do a wonderful job. But, you know, for many of us, it's like, Ooh, I don't, you know, I don't know. That doesn't feel really comfortable, but in order to make that difference, it takes getting involved. And, you know, if you, if you want to see change, then, then you have to kind of get on the front lines of it in some ways. Yes. Yeah. You know, I'm a, a, a big fan of the old saying, every every great oak got its start from a little nut who held its ground. 
And there is a lot to be said for that. And, you know, as I said, the beauty of our country is that we do have a voice and, and politicians who are obligated to, to listen and, and, and give us their ears. So we'll see where it all goes. It is an exciting time, that's for sure. And certainly some concern, but it is very encouraging to see at these high levels, you know, way up into the federal government here in the United States, that there is this increasing awareness of not just One Health being there as this, you know, concept, but also its vast importance for our future. And so that is, it's pretty exciting. I mean, it's, it's cool stuff. Absolutely. That we have people's attention on the animal side to say, Hey, this is important. And, and, you know, as awful as COVID-19 has been, it really has brought a lot of this back to the forefront. Yes. Yeah. 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 I will say here that too, you know, in many ways, I think of SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19 really as kind of a perfect pathogen. And part of that is that unfortunately it it has created such divisiveness or divisiveness in our society and what, you know, should be an epidemiological public health story or discussion has really become so politicized. And I think it's fair to say, in my estimation, that SARS-CoV-2, it won't be the last pandemic and in many ways, it's mild compared to what else is out there. And it has really, it's, it's been tested. You know, if, if I were to impart human qualities, anthropomorphize and impart human qualities to this pathogen, I would say it's testing our defenses. And at the same time, it's been weakening those because now you know, a significant portion of the public is primed to believe that these infectious diseases are you know, fake news or unimportant or inconsequential. And so the next pandemic could be very, very worse. Things Think of like the Spanish flu, for instance, 100 years ago. And this pathogen today has really set a lot of us up to believe that that is not a problem or won't even happen or is not something we need to worry about. And, and that that is a very dangerous place for us to be. So it is, again, encouraging that these One Health initiatives and acts are out there in this awareness because that will help mitigate to some extent against against that attitude which is perilous sure yeah yeah i know as you were talking about it i was like i know everything he's saying is true but i'm just sitting here going nope don't like that don't want to think about that i just want to go play ostrich and stick my head in the sand yeah well you know at the end of the day i think edward abbey the great outdoor writer he was a bit of a rough cut character and perhaps in some ways anti-government and pro-environment you know a real renegade but at the end he said you know hey no matter what just try to find something you can enjoy and go out obviously we all want to try to make a difference but at the same time don't get so caught up in all of that that you lose enjoyment for life and there's a lot of things out there we still need to enjoy and take advantage of that we have you know whether it's outdoor activities or I love wildlife research. I love learning about infectious diseases. I've got a family, I've got pets. So those are important things. And, and we need to you know, not forget those and get caught up in all of this other craziness too. I think that's great advice. Getting away from, from policies, because we know, you know that's, that's a rabbit hole we could definitely go down. Is there a role that animal health professionals can play in our communities to help implement this one health approach? What would you recommend, you know, kind of getting away from the policy standpoint and just working on a local level? You know, I think many of us in this profession uh, are, are driven, right? We're, we're high achievers. We really have a, number one, a, a scientific basis to our psyches. And, but at the same time, we're often very, very compassionate. So we sort of bring a different approach to science and, and biology than 
other professions that may be more pure science and maybe have less compassion for animals and, and emotions and things. But I do think there's a lot of veterinarians into each their own, right, in the end. But I think there's a lot of veterinarians who already are out there doing community education. They're talking to the school groups. I met a veterinarian. I was at the Music City Vet Conference this past weekend, met a veterinarian. She runs a mobile ultrasound practice. But on the side, she teaches biology and anatomy to homeschooled students. She does a virtual class. And I just thought, you know, that's really, really cool. She's found a great way to leverage her expertise and her profession in other ways beyond just private practice. In fact, two ways, right? She does the mobile practice, which she finds very, very enjoyable doing ultrasounds and then teaching young kids about biology and science and anatomy, you know, on the side. And so, you know, it starts with things like that, getting involved in groups, talking to others, again, reaching out to our politicians and sometimes might just be to say hi and at a local level, hey, do you have time to sit down over a cup of coffee? Let me hear about your challenges and opportunities and goals with what you do. And, and perhaps we find some common ground on things that I'm interested in and I feel are important. And, and you know, maybe at the end of our little coffee or pint of beer, we'll, we'll, we'll find some areas where we can collaborate and hopefully make a difference. And so, you know, I think this collegiality, we need more civil discourse and, and collegiality in society. I think many of us would agree with that. And it may start with kind of putting ourselves out there a little bit more than we normally would. Some of us are very comfortable with that. Others like, you know, this is a little bit out of the box for me, but I think we can have a huge impact. And again, I always say it, it starts with that single voice, getting together with another single voice and, and building from that. So library talks, every library is looking for, every public library is looking for folks to come in in evenings and do programs. Schools obviously love having veterinarians come in, getting involved with your local shelters and civic groups. I mean, they're really, the, the, the sky is, is sort of the limit and, and there's no limit to the creativity that one can employ to try to get out there and get more people aware of this One Health movement. And again, you know, the need for better human health and welfare, animal health and welfare, and environmental health and welfare. So it's like so many things that we encounter. It takes communication and collaboration, just like like almost everything does to make, make things yeah, better. Yeah. A veterinarian said this, who either was running for president or president-elect in the AVMA. And I vividly remember there was an interview with him in, in JAVMA. And he said, you know, there's three things that for him were so important about our profession that applied to basically every area of his life. And I've always remembered those three things were problem solving, the power and importance of communication, and finally, a sense of service. And so really that does in so many ways define our profession beyond the medicine and, and what we do. If you I look at the big, big things we do, I mean, right, we solve problems. We, we have to communicate to do that and be effective at doing that. And then at the same time, we all have a sense of service, a service to the animals, to the pet owners, to our companies, our agencies, our clinics, our communities. It really, I mean, we are a really very special profession and I will say one other thing related to infectious disease. I mean, arguably, and you could probably find a few different perhaps exceptions, but in general, there's no other medical profession outside of veterinary medicine that has such a primary impact on minimizing, controlling, and managing zoonotic diseases. You know, you think of what we do, we're there at the interface, right? We're that bridge between the animals and the people, and there's no other medical professional it really does that. Obviously, public health professionals share this interest, 
but nobody is doing that as a full-time part of their job other than veterinarians. So really we have this amazingly important and very special role in society. I have thought about that, you know, when I'm working in the clinic and stuff like that, I think sometimes we have a tendency to almost minimize what we're doing and, you know, oh, it's, it's just a vaccine appointment and stuff like that. I mean, think like yeah. rabies, lepto, hookworms, you know, all these different things. It, it may seem routine and you know, something we do day in and day out, but really it's, it's playing a huge role in public health. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, we get inured, just like you said, right? For us, it's just another hookworm egg, another fecal float, another, you know, look at the microscope. But when you think about the bigger implications, it really is pretty amazing. And it makes me very proud to be a veterinarian and, and to be part of this community. It really is, you know, a, a good bunch. And now, like anything, there's there's always a few lemons around, right? But for the most part, we're a pretty darn good bunch of people. And, and we have a really important mission that most of us really embrace. And that's true, whether we are in the business aspects of veterinary medicine, the hardcore science and research, the practice, mixed animal, small animal, exotics, whatever. Animals are part of the family, and we then really are the true family practitioners. It's cool. I couldn't agree more. I, I'm proud to be a veterinarian, proud of our profession. I, I totally agree that what we do is, is unique, and you know we are a special group of people. My gosh, yeah. <laughs> Well, that was a nice, you know, kind of departure from the the doom and gloom side of things, which we gave the disclaimer in the beginning. It wasn't going to be all sunshine and roses. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But kind of, you know, as we're as we're wrapping up here, do you see COVID-19 creating more of an impetus among governments and leaders around the world to really take a closer look at One Health and make some changes on that front? I do. And I think it's it's clear that's happening. And it was the, the movement was there even before. COVID, thankfully. And, you know, I I should mention too, that with zoonotic diseases, if you look at the top 10 list of bio-warfare weapons, you know, zoonotic diseases probably make up half of the top 10 and probably three quarters, to be honest. We know that historically there's been, you know, 60% of infectious diseases of concern to humans are zoonotic. And today with emerging infectious diseases, actually 75% of those three out of four newly discovered infectious diseases or zoonotic. So the playing field has been changing for quite some time. And this really goes back decades now to what I call the the era of emerging diseases. Going back to say 60s or 70s, we saw the emergence of AIDS and HIV, Legionnaire's disease, you know, all these newly discovered diseases and more and more all the time. And the pace seems to be picking up. But the movement was there before COVID. And I think COVID really has, you know, been a, not to make a bad pun, but, you know, the final nail in a coffin to really show that, hey, this, this is important. I know, you know, infectious diseases experts all over the globe were well attuned to coronaviruses before, and now the SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19. But, you know, coronaviruses, for instance, were well on the radar screen of experts all over the world, much like influenzas and things like that. But yeah, it, it is nice to see this. As I said, it was a very, very interesting time. It's a fascinating time, but it is an important time. And these things, as, as we talked about, they will always be around us. They always have. And how we choose to work with them and bringing scientists and medical professionals together, I think can really go a long way to be an example for how other groups of people and other professions around the world really should be interacting because it is, it is a global society today. And it's, it's, increasingly important that we recognize that and sort of manage things in that fashion. Yeah, we all want to have our countries and our unique 
characteristics and traits and traditions and things, but at the same time, finding some of these very important common ground areas is, is critical, like One Health. Sure. All of our all of our medical health professions working together with with what were the three things that you said? Problem solving, communication, communication and sense of service and sense of service. So all of us coming together with those same three things and working towards a common goal. Bingo. Powerful. Well, Dr. J, this has been a great discussion. We're so happy you could come on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with us? Oh boy, you know, I go back to Edward Abbey and there's a lot of craziness out there and, and also a lot of good things. Let's try to focus on those good things and make sure that individually and with our families and loved ones, we, we go out and try to have some fun and take advantage of the many beautiful things that this planet and our lives offer. And that'll help us come back tomorrow to do more good work. Well said, well said, and so important. Thank you again for being here. Thank you again for listening to this special edition podcast from Vetfolio and NAVC Embrace. And a huge thank you to Dr. Tischendorf for joining us in this important discussion on One Health. As a community, we need your voice to be heard so that together we can make a difference. Please visit navc.com embrace to become an advocate and support the One Health Act today. And as always, visit us on vetfolio.com for all of your veterinary education needs.